0: It's good to be with you in worship today. My name is Adam. It's my joy to be one of the pastors here. And I also want to greet those of us who are online, uh, either live or who will experience this message on our podcast or our website later on this week. Uh, I am so glad uh, that you all are here. A couple years ago, I was on my way to the Kansas City area, back home, uh, coming home to Kansas City, and I stopped at the Casey's in Boonville, Missouri. I can name all the Casey's along I-70. By the way, I know I'm not alone. It was winter. It was probably 11 at night, so it was really cold. And I see uh, a gentleman kind of, kind of doing some frustrating pacing. I think you all, we all kind of know what that's like. And I, I try not to eavesdrop too much, uh, but I can tell that this is a guy. and He's got two little small kids with him, uh, and his car's broke down. And So I I approached him and asked him where he's heading, and he said, Kansas City. So what would you do in that situation? Would you invite him into your car to give him a ride? Would the fact that he had two little girls with him factor into your decision? He said he had family in Lawrence, and I said, well, if, if they can meet me north of the river, I'd be happy to get you there. And I felt cool. It felt like a Viking saying that somehow, like north of the river. Uh, so I explained to him that, that I was a dad too and that he would be weary of me because I'm a stranger. Uh, but then I, at the time, my two children were small. And so I showed him the two car seats in my back seat. Uh, and I said, hey, if I was in the same spot, I'd, I'd want someone to do this for me and my kids. So then it's reversed. What would you have done if you were him? Would you have gotten in a stranger's car? Even a handsome and charismatic stranger like myself? (laughs) What would you do? So at that point, me and this guy are kind of in a trust standoff, right? Like, who's going to make the move first? Who's going to trust who or not? Trust influences so many decisions we make every single day. Coming to church, A step of trust, getting into business with somebody, a business partnership, selling a home, applying for a job, going on a date. All of these require different levels of trust. How do we prove to others that we are trustworthy? That's what we're gonna look at today. Scripture says a whole lot about trust. It's all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, that's the first half of the Bible, the Hebrew word that we translate into trust in English Is used 148 times, and this is in everything from trusting God to trusting other people and being a trustworthy person ourselves. There's a Hall of Fame Bible verse that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. It's similar in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. This thread of trust runs all the way through. The Greek word that we translate trust in English is used 48 times in the New Testament. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about trusting in God. And if you missed it, uh, that message is on our website. We have another podcast called Layman's Terms where you can take a deeper dive Into this subject, if that interests you. This week, we're gonna look at how we can be trustworthy people. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's Word is that trust grows slow and goes quick. Part of the cool part about being at 11 is uh, in between services, you get the little bonus pieces here. Someone told me after the last service that trust uh, accumulates in drops. And is poured out in buckets. I thought that was pretty good. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings authored by or attributed to King Solomon, who was famous for his wisdom. And Proverbs is a very practical book on how to live by godly wisdom. A lot of the Proverbs are just kind of standalone. They they function as as their own statements, like the one we're gonna read today. And if you've never memorized a verse in the Bible. Maybe this could be a good one to start with. Proverbs twelve twenty two, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Now, one of the reasons I like Proverbs is a lot of times they're pretty straightforward. Lying bad, honoring God good, wins kickoff. Here we go, right? Like, what else are we, what else are we going to do with this thing? Lying does not honor God, but being trustworthy does. One of the Ten Commandments addresses lying. You shall not bear false witness to your neighbor. From the time we're little, we're taught that lying is bad. And that was one thing my parents were really big on. I remember being told, we can handle just about anything, but don't lie to us. Because lying destroys trust in a unique way. Because it's a choice that we make to withhold the truth. And we certainly don't like it when folks lie to us. This entire industry is built on scamming people through lies. Last month, a Michael Jordan rookie card that was supposedly autographed was refunded. The buyer was refunded for a price of $34,000 because it was revealed that the signature on that card was fake. Taylor Swift was in town recently, and there were all these news stories of people who bought tickets But then they got to the gate and they were fake. Imagine spending $1,400 on concert tickets and then you can't get in because they're fake. The Swifties tell me, you gotta watch out for the scammers, man. They're out there. Now I'm gonna say this next part like I know what it is, but cryptocurrency broker FTX, they lost more money, they lost so much money they can't even tabulate it. That's a lot of money. How much? We don't even know. And so lies can cost us a lot of money. But when we lie, it can cost us a lot more than that. At the root of lying is a fear that the truth will be known. And whatever we lie about, we want to keep in the dark. We want to keep in secret. Jesus said, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so we lie because we prefer that to the truth coming out. And when the truth does come out, as the modern proverb says, the cover up was worse than the crime. So it's really hard to build trust back up after it's been depleted. As long as trust takes to accumulate, one lie can destroy it. Truth grows slow, but goes quick. Like our scripture said, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Another translation is very similar. It says, God delights in those who tell the truth. So this concept of trustworthiness and truth, they're contained in the same Hebrew word, imuna, that can be translated both ways, both trustworthy or truth. Even in English, trust and truth are related. I don't know if you've ever looked into the origins of words or etymology, but it can be fascinating Etymologists believe that both the words in English, trust and truth, have the same root. It's this ancient uh, language, and the word for tree was related to deru. And so trust and truth, they believe, both come from this ancient word, deru, meaning solid. Solid. I think this is fascinating, because we do this, and we're not even aware of the etymology of these words. Like if, if someone is a person you could really count on, they're of high character, I might describe them, I might say, oh man, my friend Greg, he's a solid dude. Now you might not say dude, but I'm a borderline millennial and still cling to these words. You may not. Or, or if, if you really need someone to come through, you'll say to them, hey, I need you to do me a, need you to do me a solid. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating to see the links between these words? What a great image for trust. Solidity. You ever been up in an attic and it's kind of creaky? Or you see a lake and you're not sure if it's frozen? Or there's kind of a janky bridge on some hiking trail? Am I the only person that kind of gives a little... You test it out before you really walk on it to make sure it's solid. That's how trust works. It grows. we got to test it out before we conclude that it's solid, trustworthy. And so if we want to honor God by being trustworthy, how do we show folks that we're solid? In his book called Trust, Dr. Henry Cloud describes five essentials of trust. We're using this book as part of the, in, the inspiration for this sermon series. And the five things that Dr. Cloud says are essential to trust are understanding, motive, ability, character, and track record. Now, we're going to focus on three of these. Motive and ability, we're going to look at next week when it comes to how how we can trust other people. So today, we're going to talk about understanding, character, and track record. These are all things that have to be cultivated over time. They have to grow slowly. Cloud says that the first essential of trust is understanding. He says this, Trust doesn't start with convincing someone you're right or smart or even trustworthy. The process of trust begins by listening and by understanding other people, what they want and what they're feeling. In short, knowing what matters to them. Trust begins not with convincing someone to trust you. It starts with someone feeling that you know them. Listening to understand the other person and having that person understand that you understand. He says this actually triggers a physical change in chemicals in our brain chemistry. We're wired to assess threats. Is this safe, am am I safe or not? Most of the time our brains are in a neutral or closed state, a neutral or guarded state is what Cloud says. And when understanding is achieved, the brain actually changes chemically and moves to an open state where it's receptive to different ideas or a different person. So as parents, we have to show our children empathy, especially as they get older. We have to help them understand that we understand them. that We understand what, we're, what they're going through, or at least we're trying to. As managers or leaders in the business world, we, we have to foster understanding with our customers or our employees. We want, we want them to know that we want to know their needs. We want to understand them. Trust is foundational, and understanding is essential to trust. People want to know that they're understood. One of the reasons I don't wear a robe, I guess if enough of y'all really wanted me to, I'd be fine with it because I wouldn't have to worry about what to wear. But the reason I don't wear a robe is, is because it establishes that I, as the pastor, am somehow unlike you. Now, we got 40 good-looking folks wearing robes up here. That's great. That's <laughs> great. When I'm the only person in a black robe elevated on the stage, I mean, all these nonverbals are saying, I am different than you. And I have to work really hard to convince people that as a pastor, I'm somehow not an alien of some type. Right? So that's why I don't wear it because I don't want people to think, this person definitely doesn't understand what real life is like in the actual real world. I want people to know that they're understood. People don't want to be persuaded. They want to know that they're understood. Another essential for trust is character. Beyond understanding, do we have the makeup, the constitution to deliver on what we're being entrusted with? And there's different levels of character for different levels of trust required. Cloud says, a person's trustworthiness is specific to the certain areas in which we trust them. We all have strengths, weaknesses, and deficiencies. The important question is, Can we do what someone else needs us to do for that context? If you want me to visit you in the hospital, I got you. If you want me to change your oil, you're going to be up a creek, (laughs) right? Uh, If we're a server at a restaurant, we need to be attentive and courteous. If we're a babysitter, we need to be safe and responsible. There's different thresholds for different levels of trust. Our character will prove to people that we're solid that we're up to the task. And that corresponds with another word we associate with character, integrity. If something has integrity, it's whole. It's not splintered or separated. It's sturdy and strong, it's whole. And so to have good character, to have integrity, means that we're the same in the light as we are in secret, that we're not living two lives, our lives are integrated, that we're solid, That's what it means to have good character, to have integrity. Cloud says that the final essential to trust is a track record. You may have heard it said the greatest predictor of future success is past performance. Cloud puts it this way. What someone has done before is usually the best indicator of what will happen next time. There's a reason when you have new hires that there's a 60-day probationary period. You got two months to establish a track record. There's a reason that doctors And at least in the Methodist church, pastors have a two-year residency period. You don't just let anybody become a doctor or a pastor. You've shown yourself to be trustworthy and establish a track record over over years and years. Trust grows slow and goes fast. Cloud says that trust is less like an on and off switch or or that uh, it's either all or nothing. And it's more like a dial that grows over time. When I first met Sarah, her dad and I went to get groceries, which means I was interrogated in a parking lot outside the grocery store. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have this one approved in advance. He actually smoked a cigarette and everything. It was just like the movies. Felt like I was in a CIA room or something. Well, he was a father figuring out if he could trust... This new suitor that had come along. Now, in the years since, we joke about it a lot. First of all, while my other two brother-in-laws weren't subjected to the same terrible treatment, I mean, I wasn't waterboarded, boarded but it came close. And, uh, you know, I'd tell them, Gil, what more do you want, man? Who would you want rather than dating your daughter than a youth pastor? Like, what else I gotta do here? So we joke about that a lot. And so it started off with the interrogation, and then a year and a half later, Uh, I took Sarah's parents out to P.F. Chang's, which when you're 21 years old is like, I mean, that's up there, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, And they were so excited to encourage and support enthusiastically our upcoming uh, engagement. But that track record over that year and a half had to be established because trust grows slow. If we claim to be a Christian, then our witness, what we The way we live, the way uh, we're seen, the things we say, that's our witness. If we're Christians, then our witness being solid when we leave this place is everything. If we claim to know the truth of God, then it follows that we should live truthful, trustworthy lives. On that cold winter night in the Casey's parking lot in Boonville, I showed the dad my backseat seat with two car seats in it so that he would understand that I understood him as a father. And then while he was still thinking it over, I'd do something I almost never do for reasons I've already discussed. I played the pastor card. I was just like, look, man, I'm a pastor. You don't got anything to worry about. And I pulled up the church website on my phone so he could see. I'm pretty sure that he sent his family Pictures of my license plates of my car, which was fine. That's fine. And we arranged to meet his family at the church. It was an exercise in mutual trust. If we want to be trustworthy people beyond the Casey's in Boonville, then we need to demonstrate through our understanding and character and track record that we can earn trust over time. Because it grows slow and it goes quick. My colleague and good friend Keith, he said something a long time ago that I've thought about a lot since then. We trust people that have a high say-do ratio. Does what they say they're going to do match up with what they actually do? Do we follow through on what we say? This applies at home, at work, with your friends, everybody. I invite you to think about this week. What's your percentage of your say-do ratio at? Is it 40%? Ooh. Is it 63%? Is it in the 90s? And then I, I want to add another layer onto that to have a high say true ratio. Are the things we say truthful? Do they reflect reality or just our preferred version of reality? Are are things we say gossip? Or, or do we only say things which we know to be true? So, question for this week: Do you have a high say-do ratio? And what about your say true ratio? The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Friends, over time, trust will grow and we can establish ourselves as solid for the people that God has placed in our lives. Remember, trust grows slow, and it goes so, so quick. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and this opportunity to read together from your word, to sing praises to you, and to be together in your presence. God, we ask that you help us to have a high say-do ratio not just on our own strength and effort, but that your Holy Spirit would work within us so that what is done in secret is the same as what is brought into the light, that we could be people considered worthy of trust, that we would reflect the solid foundation and truth that we are building our lives on in you and let others see that as we leave this place. Help us, God, to be people who seek to understand that have a character that reflects you and that over time our track record would be a witness to your great love. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.